Welcome to the RazorWire podcast, where we discuss all things in the information security and cybersecurity world. From current events and trends, through to commentary from experts in the field, providing vital advisory on what it is to work in the information security and cybersecurity space. Hello, everyone. My name is Megan Brown, and thank you for joining us on another Razor Wire podcast. Today is a special episode. I am a guest host today. Thank you, Jim and Razor Thorn team, for allowing me to discuss today women in cybersecurity. I am joining today with Steph and Claire. We're going to have a great discussion today around cybersecurity our own career journeys, and the impact of mentors, as well as how we see the industry and the landscape changing for women in tech. And so to kick off our discussion today and our chat all about this, I would love for our guests today just to give a little bit of background to themselves, a little bit about the path that led them to their current role within cybersecurity. And in doing so, I'd love to welcome you, Claire, to the podcast. And I'll start with you, if you'd love to share with the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background. Thank you. Yeah, so my background is at uh, 18, I decided I'd had enough of um, learning. So this was uh, not going to give my date away, my my, uh, date of birth away, but um, certainly in the 80s. And I decided um, enough's enough, so I'm going to run away and join the army. So that's what I did. And um, I joined a sort of an area of the, the military and the intelligence corps in the British Army. I specialised in what's known as counterintelligence, which is basically defeating the security threat to assets, effectively. So that's looking at espionage, sabotage, subversion and terrorism and other unconventional sort of crimes or threats um, that aren't really legalised so much. I spent 22 years in the military doing that and uh, doing various different tasks. But of course, just to give people a bit of an insight into what that is, that's, that's really looking at it in terms of being threat focused. So you look at what the threats are and you really study those threats so that you know, you know what their um, MO is, what their tactics or their TTPs are um, in, in various different forms and how they are then going to use those against you as, a, as what we would call friendly forces, you know, so the blue forces against the red. And our job would be to potentially predict what the enemy forces would want to do and then be able to counter that and uh, exploit it if necessary. Part of that is also the exciting sort of more covert side of things, but it also looked at protecting as well. So, you know, when we look at assets, it wasn't just information assets that we were trying to protect. Um, So my role would be protecting people. It could have been protecting weapon systems, airframes, airplanes, helicopters, those kind of things, ammunition, various different things. So, and when I came to get out of the military, I sort of planned it a a few years before. I was coming up to what we call colour service, the end of your colour service at 22-year point. Um, And I had options. I could have stayed in or I could have um, just got out. And I thought, you know what? I've done my bit. I'm sort of around the 40 mark and um, thought I'm going to start afresh. So looking around, it was like, obviously, there's not too much too much of a business in what I do. Well, there is quite a business, but it wasn't where I wanted to be um, doing that kind of things without the protection of, of the British military around me. So it was looking at what was where I could best transfer my skills. So I basically looked around and thought, right, 
information security. Let's specialise in that. And it's great because the military, in the last couple of years, if you have done your full service, you're able to sort of use a bit of all your time and they give you a bit of a grant to retrain and get some qualifications under your belt. So I did my CISSP um, and my, I think I started off with my comp TIA and things like that and networking and security plus just to get me ready for a CISP. And then I qualified in that and then I got out by that stage. And then, you know, I, I found it a little bit difficult to break into the market when I came out of the military. I think it was probably self-induced as much as anything else for me because I needed to talk a different language, to be perfectly yeah. honest. And I was probably suffering from this. Yeah, you've got to do this. You've got to do it now. Why don't they think like me? All that kind of stuff. And it was never going to work in Civvy Street. So I struggled a little bit. I took a bit of a pay cut, which is unheard of, really, because you don't get paid much in the military. And then I sort of did a, a role doing investigations, which um, it take, but this wasn't necessarily cyber investigations. This was sort of like um, criminal investigation type work for a company. And then I looked at it in terms of, right, I wanted to work for that company more than actually the job. It got me a foot in the door, knowing that that would give me an opportunity to sort of sell myself within the business and get into the InfoSec world. So within about a year and a half, I was in InfoSec by that stage. And then I started to move up through the information security ranks as such. And then um, I moved to another company after about five years there quite quickly sort of had an opportunity, took advantage of an opportunity. And now I find myself as a CISO at uh, Arriva Group, which um, delivers transport. So not to be confused with Aviva, which is insurance, but Arriva is um, trains and buses, water taxis, trams, those kind of things across Europe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was me. I love, well, Claire, thank you for sharing with us your journey. Um, and you live the life of, I feel like some of my favorite, I love television shows that really like was the job that you had, you know, it's, it's interesting and you're working cross-functionally and, uh, you know, obviously you're doing such incredible and meaningful work. So yeah, that's fantastic. We're going to talk a minute about, you know, how you got into cybersecurity through military and that really prepared you, I think, well for that. But Stefania, before we do talk a little bit about like, because I also find myself in cybersecurity from a different direction, but we'll talk a little bit about how we all got in from different entry points and really now, what does the market look like now for those that are in you know uni and they're learning courses and, and what does it look like? But before we do... Stefania, tell us a little bit about what what led you into the work that you do now. What was your path like? Sure, it's a bit of a hard act to follow, if I'm honest. So, like I said, she's literally my role model. It's incredible. Okay, I know, right? Um, so I was 18, um, and I had a different thought path, which was, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but computers are going to be in the future no matter what. So if I do computer science, I'll be sorted for life. So I did that, absolutely did not like it. And I thought the only job you could be was a software developer. So then I became a makeup artist and got qualified as that. And then did like freelance and like fashion shows and movies and did like that for a while. Um, then at the same time, I was also kind of a fitness instructor. And then I was like, okay, I think I need a real job. So I ended up in sales and then recruitment. And then the Brexit vote happens. And I was like, wow, I'm a girl that can code. I'm a unicorn. 
So then I retrained. I taught myself Python. I also took a pay cut because I actually went to go live in Poland. So I was not earning very much money. Living costs are a lot cheaper, but I was coming back to London once a month. So I would blow like half my salary on a weekend just to see my friends. Um, and then when I went to Poland, it was to try tech and to try a new city. Um, mm. I didn't really like Poland that much. I prefer London. So I came back to London and then I got my first job within cybersecurity. It was at a company called Sonotype. So that's looking at open source components. So anything that you're getting from public repositories, such as NPM, Maven Central, looking at any vulnerabilities within components, specifically older versions. Um, then I was working at a company called Secure Code Warrior. Uh, they specialize in security training for developers. So very much looking at OWASP top 10s. I can tell you, at least the previous version of the OWASP top 10, they updated in 2021. So I don't know the new version because I don't have to. Um, and then now I'm working at GitLab, which is the DevOps platform specializing in their security functionality. I love it. Well, thank you. And, you know, I think that is... Your, I love your background. It's a winding road. It's a winding mm -hmm. road to cybersecurity. I think a lot of us find ourselves there. And um, so, yeah, so same, so my background too, a winding road. I, um, growing up, I didn't know, I did, there wasn't courses at my university for, you know, clearly for cybersecurity. So for, it was like advertising, marketing, you know, those kind of, so I thought, okay, business, that's to kind of your point too. It's like, okay, they're computer science for you. I was like, okay, I'll land in business. I, I started my career in marketing and then has worked in sales, but through the experience of being a sales leader and being on the technology side of things, I was actually working with HR compliance teams, but I was honestly, it was probably six years ago. I was just watching what was going on in the world with cyber attacks and cyber threats rising and, you know, bad actors kind of emerging. And, you know, of course, the whole, whole time Claire's been behind the scenes doing all this due diligence, <laughs> but I was just watching this, you know, as as a public citizen, just being like, this is craziness. Um, but also this is a, this is an industry, this, I work now in what would be called like governance, risk and compliance. It's like umbrella term that wraps, you know, cybersecurity up into it, cybersecurity risk management. And it's a, it's going to be a $64 billion industry. And I was like, what is this? What is this sector? How do you get in there? And so I started, yeah, researching. I came from a background of startups. So I was looking for startups in Chicago at the time. And I found a little company called Logicate and they were, you know, a local Chicago startup. And I met with the CEO and he had spent decades of consulting in this space. So cybersecurity consulting and risk management consulting, and they had built this technology. So they had built a technology, it's actually workflow technology to help operationalize cyber risk assessments and ISO work and things like that. And so I didn't know what he was talking about. I didn't know ISO from my shoe. And so, but I learned, I was like, this is fascinating. And I'm, I feel like I'm growing every day. So joined the company. I've been with the company ever since. I'm, I've been with the business for five years. Now I lead our international expansion efforts, but it's fascinating. And like this podcast, and there's so many other opportunities for folks who want to learn more about this space. Like what, A, what are the careers in cybersecurity? Two, how do I learn more about it? Three, where do I start? And what I'm seeing now, we were just talking before this podcast, right? That we're seeing now courses pop up in uni and we're seeing Coursera courses pop up that speak to this and kind of give people insights into this role and, and this space, which I didn't know. And so I'm glad that we're chatting today. I also, I think, you know, we all come from three different perspectives, but we all still play and work in the cybersecurity sector, but look at all these different kinds of roles that we have, which is fantastic. So 
Awesome. Well, thank you for giving some context to that. It is a winding road to cybersecurity. And, uh, and I do see that there are a lot more resources out now for exposure and um, to, to get in there. But let's talk a little bit about what, as women in tech, as you've gotten, you know, to the, the, how you found your path or how you've wandered your past, have mentors in technology helped you to think about that next role for you in technology? Have you had allies working with you and within companies that have said, Hey, you know, these are things that you'll want to consider. Um, was it, were you just self-starters? Like, you know, Claire, you'd mentioned, you knew you needed to get a couple certs. Like you wanted to work on these certs to help you. How did you both navigate, you know, once you kind of like got into that cybersecurity world, how have you navigated that so far? Or what is the role that maybe a mentors or allies have helped you in your career? And it can be women or men, or it doesn't matter. For me, you know, throughout my career, I've got people who have had an influence on me. And I think that looking at it in terms of not just cyber, but also being a good leader. Yeah. And, and that's not just leading your immediate team. Let's face it, our job is not easy. You can have all the tech, you can have all the qualifications you want and all the knowledge in tech. But what's key is actually the ability to perform what we could call in the military psychological operations. Mm. I sometimes call it like that because it's about culture. It's changing the thought process of people and making them realize why they need to do what you're telling them to do. A policy alone is not going to, not going to, change somebody's way of doing it. You have to influence them. And so I think it's all the way through my career, I I, I look at influencers who's helped me to become the leader that I am today and the person I am today. Um, And, you know, values and not only the business values, but also the values that you follow are, are really key to that in my view. So, you know, I've had I've had people who are who have been my leaders at a time when I've learned, you know, it's really, really important to ensure that within your team, you are not the only person of knowledge. You know, you can have somebody that has come straight out of uni. I mean, I even had one person within our team who had um, decided to do an apprenticeship. And for those who perhaps aren't in the UK, um, we have an apprenticeship scheme whereby people who perhaps they've really had enough of education and they, they get out literally at 16 or 17 and want to get into a vocational type role. Um, and of course, I sort of looked at this and thought, my gosh, you know, he's not going to be no good to me. You know, he's got no qualifications, got no experience and all of this kind of stuff. But actually what he brought to the team only enriched it. And it, 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 we have to remind ourselves that we should ask the opinion. And, and I learned this from one of my mentors was ask everyone their opinion and, and give everyone a voice and, and make sure that they've got psychological safety within their environment so that it's really key that people feel that they're safe to air what their opinion is because even if you don't agree with it and and this is their opinion even on solving a complex cyber security issue because you get everyone's point of view you make for a better team and you make for a better decision in my mind because it either gives you the opportunity to take another decision that might not have been yours or to sort of say to yourself well that won't work because of this, but I've I've got enough information to go with whatever my opinion was. So other mentors have been people who have said to me to, to 
you know, take an opportunity when it arises. I think as women in tech, one of the things, um, women in general, one of the things that we struggle with sometimes is is our own, sometimes our self-esteem and, and I suffer from imposter syndrome. You know, I sometimes look at myself and say, gosh, how did I get from carrying a gun in Afghanistan to, you know, leading a team of cybersecurity experts designing trains, for goodness sake. You know, it makes no sense whatsoever within 10 10 years. But there we go, you know, and it's, it's, you are there and you can make that difference and it's being different and and you just have to take a bit of a leap of faith. Mm -hmm. And and my mentors have have been all around me. I I could say names, but there has been so many of them. And it's, it's about making, learning from everybody, good or bad. I love that. Well, and I love that, you know, you learned that that concept of from your mentor about just making sure you're aware and fostering psychological safety. I love that because you're right that a, as a leader, even as a, you know, team member, if you help to promote that or foster that, or if you're vigilant of that, like how do we feel about the tone and the, te- like the temperature of our team? Because then it, yeah, it fosters diversity of thought, which is so critical for problem solving. And I love that. That's incredible. But yes, I totally resonate with what you're saying. Imposter syndrome, no matter where you are around the world, I think women, it's, it, we've been, I'm glad we're all talking about it more too, but it is like, I just akin it to, you know, we've got such high standards. I have such high standards for myself, right? To think like, oh, the readiness doubt, right? Readiness doubt or the confidence, whatever it may be. And that's where I think mentors and allies for me in my career, that mirror, holding that mirror to me have just been helpful to say, hey, you know, this is the mirror. This is what I'm seeing of your readiness. This and like a nudge, a little recommendation nudge, you know, um, was been, been helpful. And then also just things to think about like, we have a, a military term like in the state. Sometimes we'll use it like tour of duty, which is it's like it's like if someone in a role in the corporate world, if someone's in you know I'm in sales and marketing, right? But if I want to know what it's like to be my infosec manager at Logicate, it we've got a nice Elizabeth Walker is my infosec go to team member, and I'm like just walk me through a, you know a little bit of the day of the life, like what are you doing and what do you do when the ISO certs coming up and you're preparing for an audit, like what does that look like? And so I think having allies and mentors that can give you a little bit of that tour of duty a day in the life, exposes you to new roles, exposes you to new opportunities, but also gets you thinking about, okay, what do I need to do to be like an Elizabeth Walker, right? Or to be like Claire, Mm. what do I need to do to get there? So I think that's often. What about you, Steph? How have mentors or allies kind of shaped or helped you in your career path? Uh, so yeah, and I love this topic because mentorship has been uh, very important and also I'd say very valuable for me. I have older siblings. My brother is 12 years older and my sister's 15 years older. So in effect, they kind of mentored me through childhood. And then especially when I came to work in cybersecurity, because I arrived so, so, so green. I didn't know what AWS was. I'd never heard of Jenkins, CICD, didn't know what a vulnerability really was. Like I was... So uh, I was um, willing to learn. Um, And so what I found was I did find a mentor within the organization I was working in. So having that relationship, he was very senior, dealing with enterprise accounts. And actually, one of the things I really like about mentorship is you can have this two-way angle because 
with him and I, um, I had been a Python developer. So every now and then he would come to me. He's like, I've just met with Bank X and I can't get my Python script to run. Can you help me? So I would end up helping him and then he would let me shadow and be like, oh, can you look at my architecture for me? Um, so we really benefited and I'm still in contact even though we've both moved on to different companies. Um, the other thing that I think is worth mentioning is also sponsorship. Um, there's this great Harvard Business Review article I read recently about the five most important people to have in your career. Mentor, one, but two is a sponsor. And the difference with a sponsor, and sometimes they can be the same person, but a sponsor is someone who is advocating for you when you're not in the room. So they're usually much more senior, they're, you know, the closed door conversations. And the best approach you can have to get a sponsor is, you know, be very good at what you're doing, um, make your work visible, and then also um, advocating, you know, make yourself advocatable for. And having that combination, whether your mentor is your sponsor or having two different people is really, really valuable. And as we were asking this question, I was like, oh, I actually messaged my mentor yesterday because I got a random, actually got a director role that like a, a random company sent to me. And I messaged him like, what do you think of this? Because I think this is way too senior for me. But you know, you know more about the industry. So it's good to definitely stay in touch with your mentors because you never know uh, when your paths might cross again. Yes, I love that. And I love that you brought up sponsorship. We've been talking about that a lot at Logigate. We have a women in Logigate group here and sponsorship is key. I love that. It's someone advocating on your behalf behind closed doors. It can often be a different relationship. It could be the same, but it's often a different relationship for you. So yeah, that's incredible. Okay, great. So let's talk about, and Claire, this one's for you. Tell us a little bit about how you see the industry today. So cybersecurity, the landscape, whether it's for women in tech or women in cybersecurity, how does the, how does the profession look for you now? And whether it's like your team or even when you go to conferences, what does it look like now versus what it looked like when you started um, in the space? I think if we look at it now, so this is post-pandemic. Yeah. I sometimes think that when you look at an individual, what they do, they've got qualifications, they've got experience and how they do it. And what's, I look at the moment that actually we're struggling at the moment that, that people have got different, it's not values, that's a wrong term, but they've got, they want to balance their home life a lot more. And I get it. I completely understand it. I think what we have gone through in the last two years has changed people's perception of what they want out of life full stop. And I also think generation X, Y, Z, whatever we're at at the moment, I sort of look at things and I think, we used to look long-term. Yeah. When I was going to school and people would say, what are you going to do? And it's about a long-term career. It's about a long getting in a business that you're going to stay there forever, you know. And, and now I don't think you have that and that loyalty with an individual business. And I'm not suggesting you should be loyal with an individual business because it's about you. You've got to look after it, number one. Because unfortunately, businesses are such, there's some really hard decisions having to be made. There's things that go on that you're completely out of control about. So therefore, you have to make sure that you can still pay the bills. Or I'd say pay the mortgage, but some people don't want a mortgage. They want to be able to just rent houses and they don't want to own them. So... The wants and needs of our employees and uh, contractors are different. And I think there's an element where people like old fossils like me probably have to try and get our heads around that 
because what we related to in when I was going through school and getting into industry is very different to what um, Generation XYZ will ask for even now and in the future. Yeah. And, and we've got to adapt to that, I yeah. think, um, whatever it should be, and recognise, I think that home life balance is something that we we have to recognize women in tech whoever it is that people want to spend more time with their families and and coming from a military background i always used to feel really sorry for generally it was the men but it was also women as well where they would be on operational tours for 6 months at a time and miss the first yeah. steps you know of their child even miss their birth miss you know, their first words and, and things like that. And I can completely appreciate that those are absolutely moments in time that you don't want to be away from. And even in Civvy Street, you know, in what, what we do today, that, that people are looking at themselves and saying, right, I'm happy to work long hours working for the business, but let me do it from home where I'm close and I'm able to support my family. I'm able to have a break when I can go and pick the kids up and come back again and log back on again. But don't make me sit in a, in a train for an hour and a half there and back and be no use to anyone. My family, you know, you just sit in there sweating. I know, Megan, you'll be coming over to the UK very soon, so you'll be feeling the heat that we are very shortly. <laughs> and on the tube, yes. <laughs> exactly. But I, I, well, I love where you took that question too, because you're right. And um, Steph, I'm sure you know this. You, you mentioned you spent some time recruiting. So same thing. Yeah. And Claire, even as a hiring manager, right? As a people leader, mm-hmm. you'd look at a CV or resume and you'd say, oh, they did this for only a year. They did this only for six months or they did this only for a year. And, and, and back in the day, we would say, oh, they're, you know, in the US would be like a job hopper term. And now that's so normal. People are looking for interesting, exciting projects. They're looking for things that meet their lifestyle mm-hmm. needs. They also just want to be challenged. And so I think, yeah, to your point, it's like, how do we have, help our team members, you know, do their best work and bring their best selves to work while they're with us, right? And like kind of changing that yeah. because yeah, clear to your point, when I am meeting new people at companies and I'll hear, you know, someone's been with the business for 10 years. Now the reaction is like, wow. And before it'd be like, of course, you've been with the business for 10 years. But now it's so infrequent that you're seeing folks that will have that legacy with one brand or one mm-hmm. one role. And um, and in technology, the you know, the interesting thing is that there are there's so many different things, even when in, in one business, like you could kind of shift and ch- take your career in different paths. I, Logic 8, I've done a couple different kind of career reinventions, w- even within one company within five years. And so that's the cool thing in tech. I'm seeing that. So if you are, like we are seeing some longevity, but but the roles are shifting. People are doing different things, which is interesting. But I, yeah, I love, I love what you unpack there. So Steph, what are you seeing in the market? Like from, you know, when, since you've been in it and, and whether it's your team looks and all that. When I started, I was the only woman. (laughs) So I was like, uh, when I was a developer in a startup, I was the only woman in IT. Uh, When I was, uh, then I moved into security, I was the only, I remember like the first Friday afternoon, like global Zoom call for the team. And I was like, oh, no women here either. And then I literally was like looking around and like I was, um, I was kind of in my mid twenties and I thought, okay, I need to be the, I need to be the role model that I want to see because like I need to be doing that to inspire future generations. 
And on the topic of mentorship, I'm now getting to the point where like people DM me like, oh, can you mentor me? And I'm like, oh, of course, if I have time. <laughs> um, but um, but in terms of with what I'm seeing, so I spend a lot of time going to um, events, uh, conferences. Also, I go to meetups. And what I found really nice, um, this was actually last week, I was at a meetup um, in central London. And there were, it was it was quite bad because to begin with, the gender balance was was one of the worst I've seen in a meetup. But so I made the point as usual, I was like, okay, I'll speak to all the women because there were only five of us out of about 50. And two of them um, were, were like, I would say, I, I, I don't ask ages, but for me, they seemed very young. Um, I think they were kind of first or second jobs. And one of them had been like, oh, yeah, I used to be a recruitment consultant and she used to recruit technical roles. And now she's, you know, in kind of, she was uh, in DevOps. And the other one was like, oh, I actually kind of got this job through like clearing. I, I kind of tried it. I didn't think I would. And that very much at the kind of junior associate, like, you know, need to be invested in level. But what I found was really encouraging. I was like, wow, they like look normal. And I was thinking about it afterwards because the one who said you got that by accident, it's terrible that I think like this. But she like had a really nice outfit on. And I just remember thinking if I had worn like an outfit like that, you look great in like a skirt. But I was like, if I had worn a skirt, I thought, would I be taken seriously? Like if I started in tech 10 years ago? Um, and what I'm starting to see is that, yeah, we're getting more people from different winding journeys. You don't have to have the same requirement to have, you know, five years of, of, of senior security experience. So I think it is getting better. Um, but then I think there's also a massive, it depends on the, you know, department. Um, I'm dating someone who's doing a PhD in machine learning. And I talked to him about this and he doesn't understand because he's like, yeah, I'm in machine learning and it's like 50-50. He doesn't understand the gender balance. Right. Even saying, oh yeah, in like, I don't know if it's Fang or Manga or however the big tech companies identify. He was saying, yeah, they're like 30% women. And I'm like, okay. So once you take like the sales, the marketing, other um, functions, if you look at their development, if you look in their ops team, if you look in security, is it really 30% there? Because the most I've ever seen is 10 or 20. So I think there is a big gap and it's definitely something to work on. But at least I found it interesting how security and also ops tends to be like worse than other ones. So I go to developer conferences and especially around JavaScript, it's about a quarter women, which yeah. is awesome. Um, so it really um, varies. And I think in terms of with hiring managers, taking that more approach of actually, let's give this person a go. They've got an, for me, it's all about have they got an interest like a passion? Do they think it's cool? Do they want to learn more? Because then they're more, you know, they probably will learn more. If someone just sees it as, a, as money and they have the background, that's okay too. Because some people, you know, to Claire's point, different people have different priorities. You know, some people are in it for that reason. Some people from their interested. Um, especially with, um, yeah, to Claire's point about changing lifestyles. I'm about to go to Portugal for two months to go surfing, which is why I love GitLab. We work remote so I can be anywhere. Um, so I think having that understanding of, you know, your team and especially men and women can have different needs if people are looking at the older or younger generations. I think that really helped to, um, you know, encourage, uh, you know, the growth and diversity. Yes. Well, you, something that you said resonated with me a little bit about, you know, how you're seeing folks who are women that are now in technology kind of bringing their, their, their authentic selves to mm -hmm. whether it's what they choose to wear or how they represent themselves. I feel the same way, even just in business too, but primarily in tech, right? So to your point, 15 years ago, 
I actually did, I don't know if you know this, I don't know if this is like a global thing, but there are these kind of personality, uh, they're like business personality assessments called a DISC assessment. It allows you to see, you know, what is your persona and how do you best work with your team members? So we just did this at Logigate to see like, how can we best collaborate and communicate with each other of different personas, right? So I did the same assessment and you're both nodding. So it's good that you both kind of acknowledge this reference point. So I did the same assessment 15 years ago when I was still in tech. I was in tech back then, leadership role, but um, sales tech leadership role. And then I did it again, you know, four months ago. And I was a totally different letter. And I akin that to one, I feel like I truly, well, A, you know, Claire, to your point, like, I feel like I'm prioritizing what my values are, right? And I'm doing my best work, but I'm also carving out time for myself or for my my three-year-old daughter, right? And then two, just where am I? I'm now like at a company where I do feel like I can bring my authentic self to work. And I'm now a mother, I'm a team member, I'm just a multifaceted role now, right? In technology. And so it does shape your opinion of how you take those things. It's, so it's interesting, but I think it's a good reflection of where we're coming. There's still a lot of work to go, but I think, you know, things like this podcast and other opportunities, like I love stuff that you're out there, you're out at conferences, you're purposely connecting with young women to say, hey, let me learn your story. Let me share my story. I think that's the best way is just to give others exposure to the, the opportunities or roles that are here, here in the in the space. So thanks for that. Um, okay. So I will say the final question for our podcast today, and this is for both of you, share with us a little bit about, you know, what do you think is the most challenging aspect of working in cybersecurity today? And then the other part of that is what's the most fun? Where do you get your most, you know, the joy, the joy in the moments, joy in the day? So what's the most challenging aspect of your role or working in cybersecurity? And then where do you find your joy? Claire, I will start with you. Yeah, I'm smiling about this one. So I suppose the challenge is an easy one. It's money, it's resources. So, you know, when the economy is difficult, I work in critical national infrastructure, but it's, you know, it's 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 taken a massive hit during the pandemic. So getting enough money and being able to deploy in the right area, prioritise is a struggle. So that's the biggest challenge, I would say. Um, but in terms of what the greatest joy is. It's about seeing how I, I'm always very blessed to have a fabulous team and they daily sort of uh, give me the best joy because just seeing them working well together, responding in a consultative manner to our business and that our business are actually coming to us and saying, really love working with your team, you know, because it, it's a, a really great education for them. They're not being forced to do things. Well, they are, but they're not psychological operations mm. again. They just don't realise it. So to me, it's like a game of chess mm. that actually we get what we want. They just don't realise yes. it. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's really cool. And Steph, what about you? Challenging and then where's the joy? Yeah, I, I re my immediate gut reaction was binary, like when it works, when it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but putting a bit more thought into it. So uh, with my background, I used to um, security awareness for developers because fundamentally developers write the code um, and then security will find a problem and then developers are expected to fix the code. But de developers know what a deserialization is. A vulnerability is or you know do they know these words so you'd have the training and one of the biggest challenges I find and it will obviously will depend person to person 
egos are of different sizes. But if you will ask developers, you know, whether it's the engineering managers or the developers themselves, you know, are you, so yeah, are you good? How's your security? And they'll be like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm like, I'm no, 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 no. Yeah. I, I can code securely. So I think some of the challenge can sometimes be around explaining that, okay, so yes, okay, maybe you're thinking about the code you're written, what what you've written, what about your APIs? Or what about the open source components and how security is this massive topic? And there's, uh, you know, so many different, there's so many different attack vectors. So you just have to make sure everything's kind of secure. Um, so that can be just a challenge, you know, winning them around. And that can also happen with senior stakeholders to the budget point. It's like, do we really need all of this? I'm like, well, do you want this or do you want to be hacked? Like, and then I think, um, in terms of, um, with Joyce, in terms of with my personal role, I'm, um, I'm working with GitLab and I get to go speak to customers. So for example, I might speak to Claire and be like, Hey, Claire, how's your security going? Um, so I really enjoy my role being, <laughs> being able to, um, speak to uh, different organizations, different countries, different sizes, different vectors, different people, because then I kind of get almost like a kind of lay of the land and just, uh, uh, you know, helps me because I can be like, oh, actually, I knew someone in France who had the exact same problem. And this is what they did. Do you want to have a chat with them? So I get like a lot of joy about, you know, talking to people and, and helping to evangelize security. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you both. I would say, plus one to both of those challenges and joys, resources. And also I see it even in recruiting, just finding folks that have right now, you know, there's, I think it's a little bit of this um, challenge even in recruiting. So if you do get blessed with the opportunity to have more folks on your team, it's it's been a kind of a challenging market to recruit folks as well. So I'm seeing that. And then the joy, I plus one new stuff, like just talking to folks around the world like yourselves about <laughs> challenges, what we're seeing in the space and the evolution of the market. So Thank you both for joining us on another episode of Razor Wire and uh, have a great day. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Razor Wire podcast. If you like the podcast, if you love the podcast, please feel free to subscribe. And if you have any questions, please get in touch. Thank you very much and have a great day. Bye.